open, outspoken. It's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Wirtz. This year at Millennial Eye Live, I took the opportunity to conduct another live ophthalmology off the grid interview. And thinking of guests to sit down with at this progressive venue, I thought about who embodies that millennial spirit? Who embraces new technology, rolls with the changing landscape of medical practice, and approaches ophthalmology with passion and enthusiasm through and through? My mind went instantly to Dr. Blake Williamson. For those who don't have the privilege of knowing Blake, he is a legacy ophthalmologist in practice in Louisiana with his father, Dr. Charles Williamson. But Blake has truly carved out his own path in this field. An expert cataract and refractive surgeon, a dedicated young father of two, a skilled water skier and radio DJ, and an all-around great guy. Blake is really a true trailblazer. So with that, let's hear from Blake. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon. I think we all know that music. If you don't, it is the signal that we are here for the second live ophthalmology off the grid and i am so excited uh to have this guy sitting next to me today um last year we had ike ahmed and we had a fantastic time talking and basically the whole genesis of ophthalmology off the grid for those of you who are not familiar with it is a lot of the best content a lot of the best pearls that i've ever come up with unfortunately haven't happened in a setting like this. We do get good ideas with lecture, but a lot of times the best conversations happen actually out there. They happen in, you know, basically around uh, the coffee pot. They happen around you know, just having you know, a sit-down conversation in the halls of, of the conference halls. So the whole idea with Ophthalmology Off the Grid is basically having real conversations between friends and colleagues that mimic those things, but actually getting a chance to share that with folks who are interested in ophthalmology. So, that aside, um, I'm so excited, Blake, for you to be the second guest on Ophthalmology Off the Grid Live. This will actually be going live as a podcast uh, very shortly after, after this, so we can listen to it again if, if we want to. Uh, Blake and I met, I think, at ACES. Is this right? I think it was ACES a couple years ago in Cancun. That's a fantastic meeting if you haven't had a chance, a Caribbean Eye meeting. And I was so impressed with Blake's energy, enthusiasm, and willingness to actually just put himself out there right from the beginning, right when we first met. And I knew from the start that there was something really special about Blake, and so I knew I needed to get to know him. And so over the past couple of years, we've really gotten to know each other well. Um, we've actually gone to the racetrack together at Keeneland and Lexington. We've, we've shared some pretty fun, uh, fun experiences. So... Blake, thank you for being willing to open up and be our second Ophthalmology Off the Grid uh, live uh, member today. Thank you very much, Gary. And I, I remember uh, uh, clearly at uh, that ACESC meeting, Caribbean Eye, uh, like stalking you because the reason why is because you and your partner made this amazing cataract video um, that was basically uh, educating your patients about the benefits of femtosecond laser and about your practice and how you like to serve your patients there. Um, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. I was like, would you mind if I just like copied that exactly? <laughs> and in fact, in fact, we did. And you were so kind to share that with me. 
So I think that's actually a great place to start. And um, so I joined my practice that I'm in currently about four and a half years ago, and I joined uh, an ophthalmologist who is, um, he is evergreen. He's in his 60s, but is always coming up with new ideas, new innovations. So he is both old school and new school, I feel like. Uh, kind of a renaissance man. You had a similar experience. Uh, you went into a family practice um, with with family members. But the question I have for you that I really want to get your your take on is Millennial Eye is all about what what are the needs of millennial ophthalmologists and how do we incorporate new technology? And I think that's sort of the impetus for why a lot of us are here. But I think we have to start with what do the old guys get right, the old guys and gals, the, the, the real um, pillars of our profession? What have they gotten right over the years? We, you know, I don't want to, we can't shift all the way to the new paradigm without giving a little bit of credit for what they did well. And I want to get your take on that because you've, you've seen it for a while. Yeah, you know, I've seen both sides. And, and, and the truth is they got, they, they got and still get a lot right, you know. Um, there's a lot of differences between boomers and millennials. Um, when I think about you know communication, when I think about um, willingness to adopt new technology, when I think about creativity, especially in the OR, um, um, you know, there's there's all kinds of uh, of different things and work-life balance too. Um, you know, take the first thing. You know, if you're if you're thinking about communication, uh, I think millennials are really really good at communicating. You know, we like to over over communicate, right? Um, and, and that's in all, all facets. It's not just, you know, to each other, but it, it's to our patients too. You know, for instance, on the day of surgery, I call every single one of my patients, you know, uh, the old generation probably weren't going to do that. You know, um, when it comes to staff, you know, when I hear a problem, I want to, I want to fix it right away. Whereas sort of the old thinking was, well, you report it to this person and it goes up this tree. The chain of command. I want, yeah. I want to, I want to solve it right then. So that, that's different. But then you have, you know, other things like creativity, right? So boomers, there were no fellowships back then, right? Or if they were, there were very few, right? Now there's fellowships for like refractive cataract surgery, like just that procedure. So that's both good and bad. But I find that, you know, one thing that, that for instance, someone like my dad has is that, you know, they had to solve problems, right? They had to think on their feet, right? Because technology didn't always work. Um, and, and so they, they kind of have that notch in the belt uh, for us. Um, and then I'd also say, you know, the work-life balance thing, you know, they, they were trailblazers, you know, they had to, you know, uh, make things work, they had, to, they had to think on their feet, do all these things, uh, and it kind of took away, you know, from, from their family and from their other pursuits, and I think that, that millennials are, are a little better at that than, than they are. We, we understand you know, that it's important to have other interests, you know, because that's, you know, when you're doing other things that are not ophthalmology, that's when ideas happen, right? When you're doing other things. Absolutely. And I, I also have to say, you know, the previous generation of ophthalmologists had to go through an incredible um, transition between extra cap to FACO. And, and a lot of us, we hear these stories about, you know, going from extra cap to FACO. And it seems like everyone who went through that transition um, it was really impactful, and they want to tell that story, and I, I feel like I've heard it so many times, we're like, yeah, okay, you went from extra crap to FACO, I, I get it, I mean, we all make changes, but I think it was like a real paradigm shift, and it really calibrated their mind towards, we can do things better. There is a possibility that technology, if we just, if we invest in it and we try it, we can actually make 
a difference in our patients. So we go from extra cap to FACO. We go from RK to PRK to LASIK. Um, you know, we, we have all these advances in technology and imaging and, and, you know, all the way through pharmaceuticals. They, they act, I think we have to give them a lot of credit for giving us an environment where new technology in our field is generally embraced. Not all the time, and, and things find their place, but I feel like they created a culture that is very special, and we need to be very thankful that they've given us a, a profession in which innovation and new technology um, is something that is really looked at with a lot of favor. Yeah, I mean, that's you know, my biggest thing is respect, right? So, so you know, uh, people who are, who are a generation above uh, or two generations above, they may treat you like like a pal and a friend, but it's still like I'll still say Doc. You know what I mean? Like I'll still say, you know, I don't even call them by their first name. You know, it, it's things like that, and 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 their experiences kind of affect the willingness to adopt new technology. People say, oh, well, well you know, you know, we're the, the millennials are much more willing to adopt it early, but that's because if you think about how we think, so. So I'm a millennial, you know, I think about right now, right? Whereas Gen Xers, they kind of think about the future and baby boomers think about the past because they have the past to think on. So they, they use those experiences to sort of, to, 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 they're more educated about it, right? So they're a little bit more, uh, they, have, they have more pause. It's a little bit more thought out, which could be a good thing in certain respects. So. Yeah. And I'll say this, this probably ages me a little bit, but uh, when I came out of residency, I was really confident that everything I was doing and every thought I had was really correct. I was very confident in my uh, ability to always make the right decision. Uh, the further I get away from that, the, the older I get, the less confident I become because I've made mistakes and I recognize that I have the ability to delude myself into thinking that this technology or this procedure is right. And having a senior partner who is just fantastic and really wise you know we can use we can use that wisdom it's available to us if you have a senior partner or a colleague that's a little bit older you know don't don't uh um just you know, disregard the wisdom that is gained by the years of experience so i think with the energy of youth and the wisdom of experience i think that's like the perfect combination so I want to talk a little bit about um, your road to becoming an ophthalmologist. Um, my road was not smooth at all. It, it, had, it, had, it almost died a, a quick death before it even started, and I, I won't necessarily get into that unless you want me to. But I want to know about what was your road like to becoming an ophthalmologist? So uh, I grew up, um, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a, of a uh, peculiar situation, not so much within ophthalmology, um, but it was, you know, my grandfather started our practice 70 years ago. He had four sons. All of them went into ophthalmology. Um, our, our so no pressure, right? Yeah, so we're very non-creative people. Uh, we just keep doing the same thing over and over. <laughs> so, so, you know, from the get-go, uh, it was always there. Um, but I never felt real pressure, to be honest. It was just a lot of education. You know, mine was like yours, man. It was, it was pretty rocky, you know. Um, you know, ever since I was a kiddo, I was always mischievous, always, you know, uh, always had an issue with uh, authority, um, had a couple, uh, you know, uh, bumps in the road during high school and things like that. And you kind of get labeled, you know, the bad boy or something like that by your teacher. And next thing you know, you have your teachers telling you, oh, you know, you're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to get into medical school or anything like that. 
Um, and that kind of takes its toll, you know. So, so for me, um, you know, I kind of turned inward uh, halfway through high school, um, started reading a lot, started writing a lot, uh, really fell in love with music, and developed a, a great group of friends that we used to drive down to New Orleans and see live shows all the time. We used to follow bands around the United States, um, and, and I would even, I even got into like field recording and things like that, kind of found those hobbies. Um, and uh, I think by the time I got to college, I'd really chilled out. I'd experienced it all. I was a very experienced kid, uh, <laughs> grew up fast. Uh, and by the time I got to college, I was like, man, I'm ready to study now. And uh, always had my head in the books. Um, I think that's one thing that was a turning point is, uh, you know, after a couple of issues in high school, I had to sit down with my dad and he was like, man, you know, you, you got to fix this now. Uh, you can have a path forward right now. So when I was 16, I decided to be an ophthalmologist and, um, and, and I've never looked back since. I think that's that's really clear. We all, or that's really crucial to have those moments in time where you say, "Okay, the the my future is about to be limited if I don't make some choices, some very strategic choices." Um, when I got to college, and and it's weird, at every stage of my track, I've had somebody tell me, uh, "You'll never make it. You'll, you're never going to be a doctor." I mean, when my first day of college, I actually had my advisor tell me to uh, change from pre med to go into business because you're just gonna waste four years and not get into med school. And uh, so, you know, I actually d took his advice for a year and uh, decided after a year that I wasn't gonna let somebody tell me what I couldn't do. And that maybe I wasn't smart enough, but you know, the only variable I can control was how hard I worked. And that was a real blessing because, you know, I think a lot of times if we, if we try to rely on our innate abilities, we can sometimes get over our skis a little bit. And so by getting humbled, um, it can really, um, be impactful in, in terms of how much work we put in. And then, uh, you know, I've, I've told this story a couple times too, but, you know, on one residency inter interview at a very prestigious uh, institution, one of my interviewers said, um, you know, you should pick a different specialty because you're never going to match in ophthalmology, not here, not anywhere. Yeah. Um, and if you do match, if you're so unfortunate to, to match, you'll never pass your boards. And so after I passed my boards the first go around, I wanted to send him a, a message, but I, I didn't. But it's funny how people tell you what you can't do, or they want to tell you what you can't do. Um, and you can go one of two ways with that. You can either, you know, just be labeled that, okay, you're not that bright, or you don't have, people don't see in you what you see in yourself, or they want to limit your future. Or you can take that as fuel in the fire. You know, you can take that and say, okay, someday... <laughs> You'll see. I'm going to I'm going to make something of myself. And it sounds yeah, like we kind of had a similar track there. It was the same. I mean, I remember being crushed, um, you know, when I didn't get into medical school the first go round. So I had to reapply. Um, and uh, I hear nowadays it's relatively common. It's gotten so crazy. But but uh, I was just absolutely crushed. You know, once I got there, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be, be able to, you know, join my family's practice. Um, and, you know, thank God I got in and I, I did, did pretty well in medical school um, enough to secure an ophthalmology residency. But then you get to ophthalmology residency and like everybody's a rocket scientist right so immediately I recognize it's like okay pretty much everyone here is sharper than, than I am so I got to figure same, out a way man same feeling so I was like what can I do you know I feel like um, you know I always felt like I had good hands you know um, I had a good grasp on what I wanted to be, what I wanted to be and uh, I could always work well with others I could play well in the sandbox with other people so that's sort of like emotional intelligence type of thing um, uh, and so I, I just keyed in on that and, and, and focused on, on my goal, which was to become an ophthalmologist and got involved in research and, and studied as hard as I could. And, uh, and somehow, some way, I made it onto this couch sitting next to you. <laughs> Two guys who, who were both told would never make it anywhere are actually here, so it's pretty funny. Uh, so 
I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. I want to talk about um, starting practice after residency. I think we have a lot of, of uh, either new grads or, or residents or med students, so a lot of these questions will be really pertinent to them. But, you know, when you get out of residency or when you're going through training, you kind of have this idea of what it's going to be like. You know, you, you think all your problems are going to be solved the day that you finish residency and you're going to be ushered into this utopia and, you know, it's just going to be rainbows and unicorns. What do you think about, like, what were your assumptions that were right about what it's like after residency and what was maybe a, a shocker to you? I'm going to tell you all right now, the biggest shocker, taxes. <laughs> Have you guys heard about this? Like, the more you make, the more they take. Have you heard about this? It's uh, yes. I uh, every April, I'm I'm reminded. This it, it's it's just uh, it's really brutal. Uh, uh, no, you know there there's there's a lot of things. Um, you know, I think that what I've learned most about the real world is you know the the, the real world is a grind, right? Um, if you want to push it, and if you want to do things like we do things and like I know you do things and you want to be the best. Um, uh, there aren't any sick days. You know, you don't show up late. It's not like you don't call in sick. You know, I, I've had, you know, zero sick days and I've only missed one surgery day in three years. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, at a practice like ours, we have 120 employees, you know, uh, people are depending on you not only to show up, but to show up ready to rock. I mean, they, they want you to perform, not, not just be there, but perform, right? Yes. So it, it, to a large extent, that's kind of the problem uh, with what we do is that, you know, we have all these people uh, that depend on what we can do with our hands in order to pay the bills, pay their health insurance, keep the lights on, et cetera. Um, and so, you know, I think that's really what caught me by surprise. Um, you know, I think the pressure, that, the pressure to perform a little bit. In that's some it. Ways. Yeah. I mean, it's like there is no off days. Right. So you, you need to come here and, 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 and be ready to, to go. It's game time. Right. Every single day, because the second they see you and you're not on, then they then, then they're not on. And, and I don't think that's fair to your team. I think if you're going to be a leader, um, you need to be ready to roll. Um, in terms of like, um, you know, but I will say, having said that, that, that the grass is greener. It's great. I mean, grass th is definitely greener. there's, there's few, there's fewer people telling you what to do, which works great for me and my personality. Uh, I get to do exactly what I want to do and nothing else. Um, in terms of assumptions, what we're right, uh, it's that ophthalmologists and particularly cataract refractive surgeons are just awesome, happy, um, uh, people. They're fulfilled with what they do. Um, I remember being a resident, and at my program, I had a couple of the faculty that were like, you don't want to just be a cataract laser guy, do you? Like, that's not all you want to do. And I was it's like, like Actually, what else is there? It's like, yes. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. And in fact, my assumption has been right. You know, getting the chance to meet people like you and so many people in this room that have helped me tremendously. You know, you, you gave, gave me one of my very first opportunities. I remember early on um, uh, that part of my assumptions was correct. Yeah, and, and for those of you who are in, in the audience, you know, thinking about, you know, either subspecialty or comprehensive or whatever, find people who are happy doing what they're doing and copy them. You know, if you find a group of people who are happy in general, if you follow that track, most likely you're going to be happy also. And I think it's no surprise that we find ourselves among a group, amongst a group of people that we really enjoy hanging out. I mean, I really enjoy these meetings because... There's just a few people in the world that understand the pressure of what you just said, of 
I have to go to bed at 10.30 at night because I wake up at 6.30 and I have to give myself eight full hours of sleep because there are not only you know, so many patients um, relying on me, my staff is relying on me, and I can't afford to be tired at four o'clock. You know, I have to still be ready to perform my absolute best, whether it's the first case of the day or it's the last case of the day. Patients, you know, they deserve our absolute best. That means being hydrated. That means, you know, being well-rested. It means sometimes, you know, just having to make some sacrifices personally because what we do, and I've said this before, and, and you may agree or disagree. I'd like to hear your take on this. But I think what we do is as close to a performance sport as anything else in medicine, especially as cataract refractive guys who are doing high volume because it is taxing on our bodies in terms of our ergonomics it is mentally straining, and the task has to be performed with perfection. So whether that's like a NASCAR driver or, or someone who's like a concert pianist, there is a real aspect of performance that is both mental and physical and requires a lot of stamina. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts on that are, number one, I agree with you completely. Uh, but number two, you know, unfortunately, for, for, for guys like you and us, that's just the anti-up chip right? That's, that's just, the, the, that's just exactly. the anti-up chip. And what I mean by that is just because you can show up and do 35 cataracts in a morning and do them all beautifully and, and, and blah, 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 that's great. But like a lot of people can do that, right? Well, well not well, <laughs> many people can do that, right? The point is, is like, that's just where you start, right? So, so everything else that you do around that in your OR, that's what separates you. And, and to be honest, I'll add that to that last comment that, you know, what surprised you? What surprised me was when I got to the OR uh, in the real world is it's not about me. It has <laughs> nothing right. to do with me, right? It has everything to do, and besides the patient, it has everything to do with the staff around you. Because those gals, uh, you know, work their tail off in our, in our surgery center doing all those cases. And so you got to make it about them. So not only do you have to perform all those cases and do them beautifully and serve your patients, but you also, you know, I remember when I, when I came in, I had my music. I listened to like old country music and blues. And they're like, uh-uh. And I told my dad, I was like, wait, this kind of relaxes me and da-da-da, because that's what I did in residency. And my dad was like, that's but it's not about you anymore. He's like, if you have to have a certain type of music, you're missing the point. He's like, so, so play the music that your team wants to hear. You know, do nice things for your team. If you've got a bunch of cases on, buy them lunch. If you have a tough case, don't start getting grouchy and throwing stuff. He's like, I don't care if a you know, 757 crash lands in your OR. Finish the case and tell everybody thank you and, and be nice. Well, and that gets into leadership. You know, leadership... Uh, requires trust. You cannot lead a team of people who don't trust you, and you can never lead beyond the level to which they trust you. And how do you build trust with a team? You're kind to them. You have their back. If they make a mistake, you don't immediately call them out on that. You give grace. You, you tell someone thank you. You know, I, I've said this before, but appreciation is the most underutilized resource that we all have access to. And it's the only thing that multiplies itself other than, you know, by the same token, negativity will, will multiply itself. So um, we don't... And we, it's free. It's free. It's absolutely free. And you, you won't believe what a difference it makes just walking up to your staff at the end of the day and thanking them personally for their contribution to the case. Because you're exactly right. It's, it's really not about you, but you are a servant leader. You're serving them and you're leading at the same time. Um, so... 
one other thing I want to talk to you about a little bit is is just your family. Um, you talked about this at the beginning, and I want to just kind of circle back on this. Family can be tricky. I think in the best of circumstances, family is is it can be complicated. You know, dealing with your you know, dealing with my dad about what I, what my mom wants for Christmas is 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 complicated. I can't imagine dealing you know with family with regard to not only just like boss employee or partnership things, but you throw in all those other dynamics, and you have I believe your uncle works with you as well and your sisters in the practice also talk to us uh, talk to us a little bit about how how do you manage those dynamics yeah so uh, you know it, it's uh it's kind of a circus it's a lot of fun we should have like a reality show or something like that you yes know? that that i would <laughs> tune into the, the williamson can we pitch that right now i hope someone's listening it would have to be on hbo though it'd have yeah to be that's okay that's okay uh, but, uh, you know, people who have visited our practice, um, you know, and our industry partners, it's a lot of fun. We're real people. Uh, we're honest people. Uh, but we have opinions. And, and, and all, every one of us has one. And, and, yeah, we have uncles in the practice. We have a cosmetic center that my sister runs. She's a very busy PA, et cetera. Um, you know, I, I'd say that there are pros and cons, uh, certainly. Um, I think the biggest pro for me is that I've been given the playbook. Right. So so being able to walk into a generational practice, it's just, you know, here, here's how we did it. And here's how I think that you could make it better. Now, all you have to do is, is really go execute. Right. Um, so to a large extent, that takes a lot of a lot off of my plate. I was able to walk into a busy practice doing a high volume of cataract surgery, you know, from the jumps. That's a tremendous, tremendous advantage. Um, the other pro for me personally, um, you know, would have to be probably the relationship that I've formed with my dad. Um, you know, he was very busy when, when I was younger, and he was traveling around the world giving these talks, introducing clear cornea cataract surgery. He's one of the first guys to ever do that with Howard Fine, uh, doing RK in Russia, doing ICLs in Argentina with Dr. Zaldivar. You know, so he wasn't around a whole lot. I had a great childhood, but, but he, you know, he's busy. Uh, and so now, um, you know, my dad and I have the opportunity on our LASIK days, we operate together, and it's a lot of fun. We just back and forth joking and stuff like that, and we've been able to connect um, in a very special way that, that perhaps we didn't do uh, when I was younger and, and, and kind of getting in trouble in school and stuff like that. As for cons, you know, uh, it's hard to leave work at work. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly talking about ophthalmology. I dream about ophthalmology, um, which is sad, but true. Um, and, and, you know, the, the last thing I'd say about con is that, is that um, you know, sometimes it's, it, it's hard to be professional at work, right? So if you have a disagreement, sometimes you say exactly what you think, whereas in other places you might sort of make... You filter that a little you'd bit. You'd filter it a little bit. Uh, and so being professional and maintaining that when you're you know, at work and you're on stage, you know, as Vance Thompson teaches us, uh, in front of your staff, um, I think that can sometimes be difficult. But over, overall, it's, it's a real blessing, man. Uh, and um, it's been a lot of fun. Blake, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today to share a little bit about your story. Um, you are someone that I am just so excited to be sharing this profession with. I can't look, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to the next 30 year run that we're going to have getting a chance to make each other better, make the profession better. Um, and I want to thank BMC for allowing us to do ophthalmology off the grid live for the second time here. I hope this has been, uh, enjoyable. And um, as I've said before, anytime you want to come on the program, you're always welcome to come back. All right. Thanks so much, Gary.
Once again, thanks to Blake for taking the time to share more about his background and his passions with us at ME Live. And thanks to our listeners for checking out another episode of Off the Grid. For more interviews like this, plus our first live Off the Grid interview with Dr. Ike Ahmed, visit itube.net slash podcasts. Catch you next time. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is an independent podcast supported with advertising by Alcon.